All right. If you, as the kids are being dismissed, if you want to grab your Bible, or if you want to grab the Bible from the pew there in front of you, and uh, if you want to open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, it's on page 872, if you have the, the Bible there in the pew, 872. And as Pastor John mentioned, we're in a series called Unoffendable that is based on the book by Brant Hansen called Unoffendable. And uh, that book is available at the Welcome Center for $10. If you want to get a copy of that, you can get a copy of that. Uh, our huddles are also studying it on uh, Wednesday night. There are some discussion guides that go with it. Uh, I know I have said it just about every week, but I'll say it again, and I really mean it. Um, sometimes you hear something so much that you don't really hear it, but I'm going to tell you again, this is one of the most powerful, profound messages that the church needs to hear today. The idea of how we relate to other people on earth is a huge part of the kingdom of God, huge. You cannot claim to love God you cannot see and not love your brother or sister. You cannot treat people created in the image of God with disdain and claim to love the God who created them. And I know we like to say, well, that person is acting in that way, so I need to treat them that way. But you forget that that's exactly what you look like to a holy God, and he did not treat you that way. And now he expects those of us whom he's put his spirit in to act just like him. And we, we tend to rationalize. And here's the thing. When you understand this, I believe it expands our ability to receive the kingdom. Does that make sense to you? When you start treating people not the way they deserve, but the way God has treated you, when you start giving love and grace and mercy to people that don't deserve it, you actually expand, I believe, your spiritual capacity to receive the kingdom. And the reason I think that there's so little kingdom in the American church, it's because we don't know how to treat people. But we're learning, and I'm grateful for it. In fact, I, I, I'm, I've made the this, this statement over and over um, that this is such a great book, and yet not a great book all at the same time. And someone, someone this week was like, I don't understand. I think it's a great book. And I, I'm like, I, I know it's a great book, but it's so hard because for so long, we have rationalized the, the offenses that we keep towards people. We've rationalized that I can, I can talk about that person. I can slander them because of this. And we've made excuses for our behavior for so long that this book is like, oh, it changes everything. It changes everything. And it shows up in, maybe it doesn't for you, but it is for me. It's showing up in my life everywhere, everywhere. And uh, so in a sense, my flesh is like, oh, I hate this. But my spirit is like, oh, I love this. And so that's what I mean when I say that. And last week we talked about amazing love. How can it be? And we talked about the great love that God lavished on us and brought us into his kingdom so that we could be children of God and how we can fully receive that love. And here's the thing. You can't fully receive the love of God unless you give it. Unless you give it. See, we're waiting for more of his love so that we can give it away. But he says, you give away what I've already given to you and then you receive more. So in other words, this week, you will face an opportunity to be offended with someone and give them what they deserve. In that moment, if you choose mercy, 
you will be a funnel for the love and mercy of God. Okay, it doesn't mean you can't correct people. It doesn't mean if your children misbehave. You know, we have this false idea that if our children misbehave, we don't want to, you know, hurt their fragile egos today, and so we just don't ever want to correct them. Hogwash. I mean, we have to discipline. But we have to train their hearts, not just their behavior. And so for those of us that grew up afraid that dad was going to take us out to the whipping post, fear is not the motivator. I mean, it may be a good motivator, but it doesn't transform the heart. And then when our kids leave our house, they rebel, and we're like, I never saw that coming. Why didn't you? Because you were trying to use fear as the total motivator, and you weren't going for the heart. And so, But then there are people today that are like, oh, I'm just going after their heart. I don't want to ever discipline them. You've got to do both. It's the fear of God and the love of God that give us a full relationship with God. It's the same thing in our, our relationship with our kids, our relationships with our spouses and our friends and our coworkers. When we give it away, we receive it so much more. And now today, we're going to focus on chapters 19 through 21. And today, we've called it Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And I, I didn't intend to use song titles as these two sermons. And so I can't promise you that next week, I'm going to use a song title. But today, as I read these chapters and as I studied these passages of scripture, that's just what really popped into my mind. It's amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And the reason is because grace, it has a sweet sound. But the reality of living this amazing grace out, not always so much. I mean, when we receive grace, oh, it is so amazing. But when we have to give it, not so much. And so that's the tension of the kingdom of God. And it's totally okay that you feel that way because it shows that the spirit of God is at work in your heart. If you didn't feel that way, if there was no tension there, if you were just like, I'm going to give people what they deserve, then God's not at work in your heart. But the very fact that you want to treat people the way he's treated you and there's that tension, that shows that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives and I love it. So we're going to dig deep into two stories from the life of Jesus. One of them is a true story. One of them is a story that actually happened to Jesus and one of them is a story that Jesus told. It's a parable of what Jesus told to the people. And so we're going to look at both of those. And the first one is in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It's a story of Zacchaeus. It's on page 872. That's there for you. And the story of Zacchaeus is a true story. There is actually a guy named Zacchaeus that Jesus has an encounter with. And Jesus is walking to, through this place and he comes. Now you've got to understand something about Jesus. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has a different set of rules than the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of God has a new set of standards, if you will. And Jesus came to introduce that to people, but people didn't always like it. See, when Jesus came, the rule was, you don't touch a leper. But Jesus didn't like that rule, and so he touched a leper, and he actually made them whole. See, under the law, if you touch a leper, you are unclean. Their uncleanness is imparted to you. But under the kingdom of heaven, Jesus touched the leper, and he translated wholeness to them. That's what he's done for us. So when we, you know, in the, the Bible days, if someone was a sinner, you couldn't touch them. If they were a Gentile, you couldn't eat with them. You couldn't touch them. You couldn't accept them because their uncleanness would be translated to you. But Jesus comes with this new rule that says, in the kingdom, my power through the cross, the grace that I give, now enables you to impart wholeness to them. 
And yet still today in the church world, we like to live in this little bubble where we don't touch anything unclean. We don't want to touch any unclean people because we don't want their uncleanness on us. But Jesus is like, I, I changed that. And so when Jesus starts breaking all their rules, you know, their Sabbath rules, and we all have rules that we like, and everyone's list of rules is a little different depending on how you were raised and what chapters of the Bible you read the most. Okay? So all of our list of rules are different. And so Jesus comes and he's like, no, it's not about the rules. It's about the grace of God. And please pay, stay awake the whole sermon or you're going to be like, Pastor Tom says we don't have to obey any rules. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what Brant is saying. And that's not what we're going to do. There are rules and it's important for us to know them and to live in them. But just here in this story, we're going to see the people are grumbling about Jesus liking this Zacchaeus guy. And why? Why are they grumbling? you got to understand that a tax collector in this day is a traitor. Because Zacchaeus, is, he's, he's a Jew, but he's working for the Roman government. He's working for the IRS, if you will, of the day. And he's collecting taxes, but not in a lawful way like the IRS. I know we joke about the IRS stealing our money, but it's not really, you know, it's not serious. In this day, they really were. Zacchaeus was taking more money than he should have so he could benefit better from it. And he's one of them. But he's got a job, so I don't care. I mean, <laughs> tough luck for you. And the, the Roman government knows it, but they don't care as long as they get their share. And this is why tax collectors were tax collectors and sinners are in the scripture that way. Now, Jesus, in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, enters Jericho. And he makes his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. I wonder if this was Matthew's old boss. Remember Matthew, the one disciple that Jesus called that was a tax collector? Was, he was now a disciple of Jesus. I wonder if, he's, if Zacchaeus is on Matthew's prayer list. I remember Zacchaeus. I want him to come to, to, to understand salvation. I, I don't know. We don't know how Jesus knew this guy's name, but he's there. He's a chief tax collector. He had become very rich, and he tries to get a look at Jesus, the Bible says. But he was too short to see over the crowd. So then we sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And so some people say, well, you know what? The Bible doesn't say he was short. Well, it does right there. He was too short. So... I mean, maybe he was still a taller man, but he couldn't see over the crowd, okay? So that's the problem. So he runs ahead, climbs a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. We don't know how he knows Zacchaeus' name, but he calls him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, if you're saying, well, he, he knew it because he was God. You do not understand. He laid aside his rights and privileges as God. So if he knew Zacchaeus' name by the power of God, he knew it by a word of knowledge through the Holy Spirit. So you could walk into a place and the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, could say, that person's name is this. Go talk to them. And you could walk up and talk to them by name. The same power that Jesus operated in is available to you if you trust and follow and walk in it. It's available. So Zacchaeus, quickly, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Big deal. I must be a guest in your home today. Uh, Jesus, do you know he's a tax collector? Uh, do you know he's a sinner? Why are you going to his home? 
And we, we don't get this, okay? Because in our culture, it's like, what's the big deal? He went to the guy's house. In this culture, to go in his house as a Jew, what are you doing? You're going to be unclean. And you, by doing that, are showing that he's acceptable. You can't go into his home and eat with him. You, that just doesn't make any sense. He is not accepted by God. He's a sinner. Breaking all the rules. So Zacchaeus quickly comes down the tree, takes Jesus into his house with great excitement and joy. Because for Zacchaeus, he, he doesn't get this either. I mean, he's like, God totally accepts me. This is so great. Jesus wants to be my guest. He's excited. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. He's going to be the guest of a sinner. I can't believe he would go. I, I don't think he can come from God because if he comes from God, he would never do that. I don't think he even has read the Bible. <laughs> this is what they're doing. Meanwhile, I love that word. See, the people are all over here grumbling. I can't believe Jesus is doing that. I can't believe Jesus is going after a sinner. I can't believe Jesus is... Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stands up before the Lord and says, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So the people are grumbling, and they have the right to grumble because the rules are on their side. But Jesus is offering grace, and meanwhile, that grace is transforming the heart of Zacchaeus, and he is being made right with God. <clears throat> Do not be confused. He is not made right with God because of what he did. Okay? Because the scripture is clear. No one is made right with God because of what you do. He's not made right with God because he's changed his behavior. He's changed his behavior because he was made right with God. Because of this amazing grace that's come to him, it has brought about a transformation of his heart. And the thing is, we don't know what they talked about at dinner. We don't know if Jesus sat there and checked off all of the sins that Zacchaeus has committed. If, what are they talking about? Or, or if Zacchaeus is just hearing the people grumble and he's like, oh, I'm feeling convicted. God's given me love. The people are right. I'm a terrible person. Uh, we don't know. But we know people are grumbling and Jesus is offering grace and this guy's being changed forever. His heart is being changed. This is what grace does. It changes hearts. Rules are wonderful. Rules are important. Rules are necessary. I am a rules person. I follow rules. I believe in rules. I think there are not enough rules. I mean, my flesh does. <laughs> But my spirit is starting to realize that more rules doesn't mean uh, more power or grace or anything. And so it's, it's, it's not a good thing. But rules bring wisdom. Rules help us live better. Rules spare us from change. But rules do not change anyone's heart ever. Grace changes hearts. Grace changes hearts. See, in the church world, we like to try to set up this aquarium style of existence. You know, we're this aquarium, we're these fish. We don't want to have any interaction with anyone who might challenge us or upset us. We want to just live in our little fishbowl. But that's not who Jesus came to save. He came to save sinners. He came so that we could give grace to sinners. 
And I know all of you are thinking, yeah, but grace is also power. they got to change their lives. Yes, but they can't change their lives without grace. I mean, they may be able to conform their outward behavior, but that won't last. The only way to change the transformation that needs to be done has to be internal. And that's only through grace. And grace is messier than we want to acknowledge. Because like I said, grace is good when it's, you know, in our our world. But when we have to give it, it's not so clean. It's not so clean. And when do we, when do we give grace and when do we tell people they got to change their lifestyle? And when do we, uh, when do we, I mean, I mean, how many of you in this room have no sin whatsoever that needs to change in your lifestyle? There's none of us. The Holy Spirit is still working in us and showing things to us and revealing stuff. But other people's sin is way more overt. We can see it, and we can point it out because it's not our sin. I don't struggle with that, so why do you? And that's where it gets messy, and we don't know what to do. And some of it, some of it is good because we're like, we don't want that person to be deceived and end up in hell, so we got to tell them what's true, and so we don't want to like, confuse them and, and make a, a mess of their lives. And so it's with good intentions that we do this. And we don't understand how our salvation depends on him from start to finish and not what I do. And I, it is what I do, and I don't know what to do about it. In the, the book, there, one of my favorite stories in this book is the story of the birthday party for the prostitute. If you haven't read it yet, I'd encourage you to read it. A powerful story. Uh, of Tony Campolo in a, a diner at 2.30 in the morning and comes in to a, into an encounter with a group of prostitutes. And he, wants, he talks in a, such a real way. I wanted to get up and leave because of what they were talking about, what they were saying, how they were living. I didn't want to be there. Um, you know, I'm, hello, I'm a believer. I'm a, you know, a, a minister and I'm in a diner at 2.30 in the morning with some prostitutes and hello, problem. And he, but the, the Holy Spirit convicts him and he stays there. And the next night they throw a birthday party for this prostitute who has never had a birthday party. And now he, he prays and the people are like, we didn't know you were a pastor. What church are you a pastor of? And he, I love this quote. I, he says, I, I pastor a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3 a.m. And the guy that owns the diner says, no, you don't. There's no church like that. Because if there was, I'd go to it. Are we willing to love them, value them, and not be turned off by them before they come to Christ? Here's what you need to do right now. You need to put a face on Zacchaeus. Please do not let this be a cute little Bible story, cute little song that you sing. Who is Zacchaeus for you? Who is it that we would withdraw from? Who is it that's not living up to our rules enough to draw near to them? Because we have a tendency to draw away from people that reject us, people that hurt us, people that betray us, people that hate us. But the scripture says Jesus ate with those people. Jesus made breakfast for those people. So see, it's not just about who we are loving. It's about who we aren't loving. It's not just about where I'm not offended. It's about where I am offended. Who is Zacchaeus for you today? Who is it that you want to see get a stern rebuke from Jesus? For me, it's people that don't use turn signals. I want them to get a rebuke. 
It's the people that pull right up on you when you're driving already over the speed limit. By the way, a friend of mine just this last week got a, a warning from a police officer, written warning for going 38 and a 35. So for those of you that say 36, 37, 38, that's not really speeding. Apparently it is. Okay? And so it's like but those people that pull up behind you and then they go around you and they're like perturbed and, they, and you're like, I hope there's a cop up there. <laughs> Tell me you don't think it too. <laughs> you, it's probably you. <laughs> That's it. You're either thinking it or you're doing it. I don't know which one you are. But here's the thing. Grace is like, I don't want those people to get caught. I mean, I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to hurt someone. The reason we have a speed limit is to protect us because I know we all think we can drive safe at a certain speed and I'm the exception to every rule. But the ultimate goal is to protect people. That's why our government exists. They establish rules to try to protect, to try to keep people from being hurt. And so that's what that's there for. But every single one of us in this room, we have a Zacchaeus. And the way we treat our Zacchaeus shows our level of kingdom understanding. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says it this way. To you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you. Why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. If you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be truly acting you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father in heaven is compassionate. So who is that? Who is our enemy? Who is the person that we're going to lend to and not be paid back to? And here's the thing. Most of us are like, well, I, you know, I'm not... Be, do good to those who hate you. I'm not like actively pursuing evil on those who hate me or those who've hurt me or done wrong to me. But are you ignoring them? Are we withdrawing from them? Are we keeping distance? Are we secretly hoping they get what they deserve? See, do good is active. I'm doing good on their behalf. I'm praying for them. I'm praying blessing over them for the kindness of God to be in their life. I'm loving them. Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's an action towards someone else. And love can't be done from a distance. It has to be done from up close. And we read this and we're like, well, that doesn't really make sense, Pastor. That's not, a, that's not reasonable. That's not logical. And so I don't think that's what Jesus really meant. Yes, Jesus, didn't, Jesus wanted us to be logical. He wanted us to trust our own reason and our own understanding. Oh, wait. No, trust in the Lord and not your own understanding. There's a reason that many people walked away from Jesus. And we have painted a Jesus today that nobody walks away from. Who is your Zacchaeus? 
The second story is in Matthew chapter 20, and you can turn over to Matthew chapter 20. Unfortunately, I didn't find the page number for you. I apologize, but I put it on the screen because this is a story that Jesus told. It's not a true story, but it kind of goes along with the story we just read about Zacchaeus. And so in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Now, I don't like this translation's words, normal daily wage, because that's really not true. He, he offered to pay them a denarius. Now, a denarius is not a day laborer's wage. It's more like the wage for a Roman soldier. So it is a normal daily wage, but not for this job. Okay, it's actually more than this job would get paid for. Okay, so you got to understand that. He's offering them more money than the job would normally pay if they go out and work in his field, okay? So he, he does this, and he sends them out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace. He saw some people standing around doing nothing, so he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. See, no agreement now, just whatever's right. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. Well, why weren't they there at three o'clock? Why weren't they there at noon? Did he pass them by? Did he offer and they didn't accept? I mean, a whole lot of questions I got for him. Did they, you know, go off and play Xbox for a while and then they showed up at five o'clock? No wonder you didn't get hired. I mean, you got to fill out a job application if you want a job. I mean, this is what the crowd is saying, you know, no one hired us. But the landowner says, go out and join the others in my vineyard. And that evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Huh. I don't like this story already. I mean, maybe we do yet. Sorry, we like it. We like it right now because it's not bad yet. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more because it's only logical if they worked an hour, got a full day's wage, and I worked eight hours, <laughs> I'm getting paid a lot. But they too were paid a day's wage. When we received their pay, they protested to the owner. These people worked only one hour, and you've paid them as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, have, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want? With my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Are you okay with that parable? I'm, I mean, we're really not okay with it if this is how our boss is operating. I mean, if I'm there all day and a guy shows up from five to six every day and he gets the same wage as me, huh? That's not fair. That's not logical. 
I don't know what's going on here, but you see, Jesus, you got to understand context. Jesus is telling this story in response to this statement. Remember the story of the rich young ruler that we talked about the last couple weeks? Came to Jesus, what do I got to do? Jesus says, sell everything you have, go give it to the poor, come follow me. And he went away sad, but Peter's like, hey, we've done that. We've sold everything for you. And Jesus says to Peter, look at what he says. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Matthew chapter 20 verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. So Jesus makes this statement. Then he tells them about this landowner and so the disciples are like, oh, wait a minute. So what you're saying is someone maybe gets the same reward as us, even though we, that rich young ruler could end up with the same reward as us, even though he walked away sad? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, Jesus. That's not logical, right? It's not logical. I don't know what to do. Brant talks about it this way in the book. Oh, excuse me. That's not the wrong one. I got to find the right one. Mm, I have to lift my glasses. Don't make fun of me. Here he goes. The king, because I can't read the words on the, the screen because they're so small. The kingdom of God knows nothing of balance. It's as unbalanced as, say, a teeter totter with a gnat on one side and, say, a hippo and a grand piano on the other. No, wait, that's misleading. The gnat has to move. It's a teeter-totter with nothing on one end and a hippo, grand piano, and also a gnat because I just moved the gnat over there. In the economy of the kingdom of God, we can't even afford the gnat. The kingdom is not balanced. It does not operate via our common sense, and you can't possibly try as you might take it too far. Being a citizen of that kingdom then means operating in the whole new economy and grace, unfair, imbalanced grace, is the currency. By the way, I've learned it's worth reminding that extending grace does not mean and has never meant that there is no such thing as sin or that there's no such thing as right or wrong or that God smiles on all of our actions. There is sin. There is right and wrong. And God, like any loving father, of course, cares about what we do and who we are. But that's why grace is grace. It amazes us because we really don't deserve it, because we really have failed, because there really is so much reason for God to walk away from us instead of running toward us. God doesn't love all the things we do. He loves us in spite of the things we do. So let's do something crazy and imbalanced here. Let's embrace the unfairness. Why? Because not only is it in our best interest, but also, frankly, Jesus gives us no other option. This is a hard one, isn't it? This parable doesn't make sense. What if the parable isn't just about when a person gets saved? I mean, right? Because we look at it and at first glance we're like, well, some people get saved early in life, some people get saved a little bit later in life, and the guy who makes a deathbed conversion still gets the same reward as everyone else. And that's true. But what if it's about the field you're working in? Because remember, we all got a different set of rules 
in this room. Based on our upbringing, based on our interpretation of Scripture, based on, you know, our own personalities and the things we struggle with or don't struggle with, you and I all have a different set of what it is looks like to serve God list. Some of us believe you absolutely have to tithe, give 10% of your income. Some of us are like, meh, maybe not. Some of us believe you have to go to church every time the doors are open. Some of us, eh, maybe not. And there's all kinds of people all the way in between. And this is a sin. This isn't a sin. This might be a sin. This might not be a sin. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are clear things in Scripture that absolutely we should do. It's in the character nature of God. But there's a whole lot of stuff that we're just like, I don't know. I mean, I want to live just like he lived. And so what if it's about the field that we're working in? What if there are people who, you know, don't start working in our field even though they know they should? Do we want them to receive the same grace, kindness? I mean, this parable really messes up our theology a lot. And we don't know what to do with it. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can receive the grace of God in vain. God right now is not counting the sins of any human being on earth against them. He's not. Because of the cross, he is not. But that doesn't mean every human being will be in heaven for eternity. Because you have to apply it. You have to receive his grace. In, what, in other words, what he's saying is, I'm not putting you at a distance. I'm letting you come right up to me. I'm going to give you love. I'm going to be kind to you. And see, we, we don't understand this. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. So we don't want God to give sinners judgment. We want his kindness to lead them to repentance. But here's the thing. Just because God's kind to them doesn't mean they're going to be in heaven. What do you got to do to get to heaven? Repent. You've got to look at the kindness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, and say, you know what? I am living the wrong way. My actions go against who God is. I am going to turn around, believe Jesus died in my place, and I'm going to walk God's way. So I'm not going to do what I used to do. I'm going to do what I now do because he's empowered me to do it. And it may not work itself out in my life instantly. But my salvation doesn't depend on my ability to live it out. It depends on what he did for me. It's not an excuse that I say to just, you know, live lazy lives and who cares how I live and who cares what I do. Because my sin doesn't just hurt me, it hurts others. It makes a mess of my life. It makes a mess of the lives of people around me. So I don't want to sin because I don't want to make a mess of everyone's life. I want to treat people the way he's treated me. So I got to live like him. I got to do what he does and what honors him and what pleases him. And that's imbalanced, that's unfair, that's crazy, and we really don't quite know what to do with it. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul has talked about all of these sinners in the world who do their own thing and they don't want to know God, they don't want to be thankful, they don't want to be good, and they just live however. And God, he says, turns, him over, turns them over to himself. Okay, so we're in Romans chapter 1. He turns them over to themselves and they start sinning like crazy. They invent New ways of sinning, okay? And then the good religious people, like us sitting in this room, are like, yeah, look at the world. They are inventing new ways of sinning. It is crazy out there. And then he turns the page into Romans chapter 2, and he says, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? And we're like, huh? 
Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself, for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Then down in verse 20, same chapter, you think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. So the people out there, Romans chapter 1 people, you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge of, and truth. Well, then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? Probably. I mean, if he's asking the question, the answer's probably. You just don't see where you're stealing. You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? Probably. Every time I look at a woman and think, oh, every time wives, you're like, oh, I wish my husband was like that man I read about in the book, in that movie. Oh, I wish he was like notebook guy. That's adultery. That's adultery. Oh, no, I'm just wishing he was like that. It's adultery. I mean, that's the whole point of the law. You're like, who could live perfect then? Nobody. That's the point. So when we tell the world, don't commit adultery, but we're wishing our husbands or our wives were different, just as guilty. And then look at what he says. You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. It's the change of heart produced by the Spirit. See, there's, I believe there's two reasons Jesus is telling this story. Matthew chapter 20. One is because God always dispenses gifts, never wages, to every one of us. Everything we get from him is not a wage. The wages is death. Everything else is a gift. And even if you work from sunup to sundown, obeying every law in the book, you're the best Christian ever, it's still a gift. It's still a gift. And if you lose perspective of that, you're going to start comparing yourself with others. You're going to start looking down on others. You're going to start taking offenses and being angry. And you're going to have all kinds of a mess in your life. It's all a gift. The second reason that I think he tells that story is because the landowner never stops looking for workers. He never writes anyone off. Even the five o'clock people. The people that were like, that person should know better, they should stop it, they should not live that way, and, that, and we withdraw from them. The landowner's like, no, go work in my field. Go work in my field. He wants them, and he wants us to want them. I mean, we can't change the gospel. We can't change the fact that people need to repent. But we also can't use the law to try to change their hearts. we got to give them what they don't deserve first. When we start offering grace and love and mercy, it opens their hearts to be transformed. One last scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul, 
I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect, meaning it wasn't worthless or useless or in vain. No, I worked harder than all the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And see, in the moment you and I start measuring people up and we're starting to think, you know, we're higher than them, we've lost this. I am what I am only by the grace of God. I don't care if I work harder than every other pastor in South Dakota. It's only by the grace given to me. And I am never going to get a wage. I am always going to get a gift. And I want everyone else to get it. The speeders, the people that pull up behind me and dart around me, I want them to be off the hook. Now, if they need to face justice so that they don't hurt someone, then so be it. But I will not celebrate it. I will not celebrate when a pedophile gets arrested. I won't. It needs to happen. There needs to be protection. Children need to be protected. That person is not a monster. They're a son and daughter of God who needs redemption. And I won't celebrate it. I won't call for public hangings. That's not a deterrent and it never changes a heart. I won't celebrate abortionists who get what they deserve. Abortion should stop. We should stop killing babies in the womb. It needs to stop. But I will not mock and I will not be angry with people who are deceived by the enemy. I don't care what statement a politician makes. Because the moment I start down that path, I forget. It's by the grace of God I am what I am. And I know that many of us in this room are sitting here thinking, I would never end up that bad. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. That's the message of the cross. So here's the challenge. I want to challenge you. If you've read ahead, you'll get this right away. I want to challenge you this week to be very unbrant-like. Brant is our author. And Brant tells a story because Brant, a lot of you relate to Brant, and that's great. I don't relate to Brant fully, but some of, in some ways I relate to him. But I love that some of you relate to him greatly. But he talks about his neighbor who lived across the street that he didn't, have, he didn't know at all. But his neighbor lost his wife and daughter tragically in an accident. And he felt like he should go and do something or say something. But he didn't know what to say because he's not a people person. And those are awkward moments for Brant. And he doesn't know what to do. I mean, he, in a sense, he feels like that guy needs something. And I feel like staying over here in my own house. I mean, I feel for him, so I'll just pray for him from across the street. I'll even reach my hand out and be Pentecostal. He doesn't say that part. <laughs> I just added that for us. But he says, I did something very unbrant like I walked across the street and I rang the doorbell. 
And he talks about the awkward conversation and what he said to him. And the guy just looked at him and he said it again. And the guy invited him in and he talked to him for hours. Brant didn't say much. He said, I didn't need to say anything. And at some point in the conversation, conversations, because they had more than one, because he used to go over then all the time. The guy asked him, are you a religious guy? And he's like, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. He's like, well, it figures. And Brant didn't expect that because he didn't expect him to think he was religious because most people don't like religious people. But the guy expected it because you keep pursuing me when a lot of my friends are withdrawing from me because it's awkward and they don't know what to say so they don't say anything. But you keep coming near. So we don't know what to do. People hurt us. People are in a mess. They're making a mess of their life and we don't know what to say. The very fact that we just keep drawing near says everything. It says, you know what? I can sit at your table even if you don't live the way I think you should live. Oh, I think it's dangerous for you to live that way because it goes against the cross and I know the end of that road, but it's not going to change our relationship right now. I don't care what you claim or what you're against or what you're for, I'm going to sit at your table. That's what Jesus did. And the church doesn't know how to do that because it's awkward. And we don't want to approve of their behavior because if we approve of their behavior, don't approve of their behavior, just love them. Just love them. Just show them that they have value no matter what they've done or what they believe. So will you be unbrant like this week? And have a conversation with someone or show an interest in someone. And not just any someone, but someone who would normally repulse you. Someone who would normally offend you. Someone that your personality would otherwise avoid. Would you stop this week and be unbrant like Because if we wait for our emotions to change, we're never going to do anything. But if we start acting our way into different emotions and we start drawing near when we want to turn away, when we start blessing those who curse us and doing good to those who hate us, I think we're going to expand our ability individually and corporately to receive the kingdom and our entire city. I think what we do affects what God does to our city. If we start living this way and we start establishing kingdom boundaries in the city of Huron, I believe the city of Huron is going to receive God's kingdom in greater measures. People are going to start having dreams about Jesus. People are going to start seeing Jesus and wanting to be drawn to Jesus. That's what I think. And so I think it's worth it because I think Jesus really did come to seek and save that which is lost. Not the good people lost. Not the deserving people lost, not the responsive people lost, but the outcasts, the broken, the disgusting, the repulsive, the ones that we normally turn away from. Now for some of you, one last thing, for some of you, the people that you normally turn away from are the religious folk. Uh, see, I've read the book, Love Jesus, Hate Church. I've read it. And I've, re I've heard people say, you know, I love sinners, but it's church people I just can't stand. Missing Jesus just as bad. Because Jesus didn't turn away from the Pharisees either. He ate with them. He talked with them. Oh yeah, he had some harsh words for them. 
because they should have understood some things. But he never withdrew from them. Only when they tried to kill him. (laughs) Until it was time. And then he drew near knowing it was going to kill him. Are we willing to do that? I hope so. Because that's the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for everything you've revealed to us through your word today. For how you've treated us. God, every one of us in this room was your enemy. We were the most disgraceful, despicable sinner we could think of today. That was us. But you had mercy on us, and you had compassion on us, and you never treated us like our sins deserve. You came to us, you paid our penalty for us, and right now you are offering kindness and grace and mercy, and you are just you're abounding in it. You do not want to treat any of us like we deserve. But God, we do recognize there's a day coming. When if we have refused to believe in Jesus, we've refused to look at what he did for us and to admit that we are your enemies and that we need to change our lives and we need to turn and walk in your direction, that we need to come out of the the kingdom of darkness and be transferred into the kingdom of light, that we need to start walking the way you've told us to walk because you're going to give us your spirit and empower us to do it. So God, we want to receive the grace, the love, and the power that we need to do that today. And so while you're in a moment of prayer with your eyes closed, I want you just to think on that grace for just a moment. Because there could be some of you in this room today that have never actually admitted that you were God's enemy, that you actually were living in a way that was against him. And you've never surrendered your life the way we sang earlier today. I surrender all. I'm turning from my life and I'm turning towards his. And so God loves you and he invites you to the table and he's offering grace to you. But if you don't make that decision, then it's all for nothing for you. And I don't want you to leave here today with all for nothing. Today you can make a choice to admit you're doing your own thing. Jesus died in your place and he wants to forgive you just by acknowledging that. And so if you're here and that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I want to pray today. I want to receive Christ as my Savior today. I want to turn from my sin and walk in his direction. If it's you, just say, that's me. I want to do that. I want to make that decision today. Is there anyone? then I hope I can assume that everyone has done it. I hope you're not here today and you're just going to roll the dice with that one. In fact, if you are, it's still not too late. You can choose to do that today. But for the rest of us, maybe you need to receive grace today in a way that you've never received it before. Maybe because you've, you've not been able to release it, That's how you know you need to receive it better is because you're not releasing it the way we need to. And so if today the Holy Spirit has put his finger on a person, a Zacchaeus, someone that you're hoping gets what they deserve, you say, you know what, I need need grace. I need grace to cover me today. I need grace to transfer my heart the way you talked about today. If that's you, 
to close this service today, we're going to sing a song together. And when we're done, you're going to be able to be dismissed and we're, we're going to let you go. But if you just say, you know what, I need to receive grace in a fresh way today. As we sing this song, I want to invite you to the front. I want you to come and if you want to kneel, if you want to stand, there's nothing magical about the front of this room, but it, it's about making the decision to step out and say, God, I need this. I need grace in my life in a greater way than I've ever experienced before. So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing a song together that's called Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. It flows down and it covers us. And as we sing, if you want to experience that grace in a fresh way today, I want to invite you to this altar. You can stand, you can kneel, but let's come and let's sing together. Bailey, if you can turn that up. You need to experience grace. I want you to come. Amazing grace, sweet the sound. You need grace to flow out of you. In a greater way than it has now before. flowing down. Would you step out from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree? His grace flows down and covers me. Amazing grace, amazing grace. Two.
Give us grace. Give us grace this week to be unlike us and more like you. To treat those around us, God, not as they deserve, but as you've treated us. God, give us grace. Give us wisdom. Give us strength. Give us the power we need. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly and let those that maybe want to spend a little bit more time in prayer to do that without the interruption. And so God bless you as you go today.